Hey, we want to say thank you to our sponsors, Watchman Cigars, Red Hill Brewing, Crave Bath and Body, and Level Up Logo. Without you guys, this episode would not be possible. Hey, hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, where it's our take on life, liberty, and the pursuit of gravy. I'm also in the pursuit of trying to find my voice. Uh, hey, you guys are invited to come up on the front porch, grab a beverage, and set a spell. We've got a great show lined up for you, as always. Our guest is Wendy McConnell. She's going to talk to us about uh, understanding racism, so you'll want to stick around for that. Uh, without further ado, though, let me go ahead and introduce you to our starting lineup. Magic Man is not available. He is doing some work stuff like, wow, look at you. I'm I'm fancy. I'm doing work things. Work. Uh, so, works. so he's not available. Um, and uh, we do have Aaron with us, though. Good evening, Aaron. Hello. It's good to be back. Welcome back. I know you were you were gone last week. Where were you at? Uh, last week. What was that? Oh, the, okay. That was not work. That was the other time. Um, I was like, trying to remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't feeling good last week. I had a really bad migraine. The CIA Ooh. mission. The secret agent stuff. I think. Remember, remember that show, Alias. Like, yeah. I think that's what you are. Oh. I love, I love that show. You got a lot of cool wigs on that show. Lots of oh, wigs. You're right. Wigs. Um, wigs. I think we need. Okay. To, I need a wig. Let's get let's get producer Brian a wig next week. <laughs> yes, I guess. That'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> producer Brian, how you be doing? Not how you be doing, but uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks a lot. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> uh, last week uh, we were uh, we did not have a show. I'll give it into that a little bit um, later on the show, but. Uh, Man, it's good to be back. It, it, things are going crazy right now, so I'm I'm working behind the scenes, trying to um, to get our guests on, and it just doesn't seem to be working. Hey, while he's doing that, uh, Aaron, why don't you sh- do a talk about our socials there? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find us on. Everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Facebook. On Instagram, Twitter, we are SFP Radio. Um, you can check out our website, sfpradio.com. Yep. All right. Yeah. That's it. Somewhere. I had it written down somewhere and I can't find it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you get on our website, you'll find all of our socials. Um, you can leave a voicemail. Yes. Have you had any voicemails, Jizzy? Um, No. We, we've had just uh, Lee and Sketch are the only ones that have pr- provided voicemails. Hmm. Again, I don't know what to do with our audience. I've tried to pay you to, to leave a voicemail. I've tried to do everything I can. It's just not working. Money is so, motivating. Yeah. I, I need to find what motivates our, our audience because I can't find it. I've tried t-shirts. I've tried money. I tried whatever, and it's just not happening. So, it's not fame either, apparently, because you get your voice on this worldwide yeah. platform, right? Yeah, I mean this this right. platform goes worldwide. <laughs> you you can just promote, call in, and be like, "Hey, I own this store called Pizza Hut. Order a pizza, and we'll play it." I mean, I don't care. Oh yeah, point, pizza so, pizza orders. That. That's what we need. What's your favorite pizza <laughs> toppings, guys? Leave us a voicemail. There we go. Give us your Chinese food that. order. Those <laughs> cr- crab rangoons. 
I do love me some good crab rangoon. Just the regular crab rangoon, I'm not. But man, I love like the ones with the actual crab in them, right? Not just the fake ones that are just cream cheese and they're ripping you off. Not that one, right? Okay, that that one ticks me off. Yeah. All right, so we're just gonna move on. Uh, Hopefully, she'll she'll be able to come on. But um, so I'm gonna ask you guys, like I ask you every week. I'd be Dern. We'll go back to Aaron. Aaron, you were gone. Things are better. You're feeling better. No migraine. How's your week going so I, far? Say that again, sir. How's your week going so far? How you be Dern? It's good. It's good. Um, I was just telling you guys, I worked out this morning. I've been working out this week a little bit. Nice. And my face got so red that I thought I might explode. It was really wild. It was, uh, everyone was looking at me. It's fine. You know, I'm good. I'm okay. Everything's okay. <laughs> um, wow. Apparently, I pushed myself. I don't know. A little too hard. I don't know what happened. It was very good. I'm proud of you. Good job. I was scared. Everyone was scared. It was fine. We're good. Everything's good now. <laughs> Somebody I mean, already had nine, nine and one already dialed on their phone. They're just waiting. <laughs> yes. They're like, uh, are you good? It's the, are the you temperature's changing. It was warmer out, right? Is that, that what it is? It is warmer. So. It is. Yeah. Not hydrated enough. Uh, Producer Brian, how you been doing? You know, um, I keep complaining, but I'm not going to. <laughs> okay. We went that. Uh, camping this weekend uh, yeah. up, up near Winston-Salem, uh, and we, we tent camp because we don't have a fancy rig like uh, Magic Man does, but uh, the uh, lows were right around 32 every night, Ooh, buddy. so if you've ever been in a tent mm. and it's 32 degrees, and I had my, my kids with me and my wife, and we took another family, uh, so it was, how do you stay warm all weekend was the... Play and then, like Sunday, we were there uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And we came on Monday. Sunday afternoon, it finally hit like sixty degrees, and it felt like mm. I guess probably the same way Aaron felt working out, but like it just radiate like there's so much heat. Like sixty degrees felt like you were sitting next to the sun after being so <laughs> cold for two days straight. Um, but it was mm. still you know it's one of those camping stories. Like when you're in it, you're like. Am I having fun, or am I just cold? <laughs> then after the fact, you're like, "Yeah, that was great. That was that's a great experience, right?" Right. <laughs> right. Everything is so much better when when you're back home. Because I was like, I can't wait to go back to Italy. And just said, "Let me remind you, on day six, you were screaming to come back home." I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, like I've done a lot of hiking, yeah. like backpacking and stuff. You know, in about mile twenty five, you're like. This is the worst experience. Why am I paying money to do this? I bought all this stuff. I hate it. All I want is a burrito. And then as soon as you get that burrito, you love the experience. Like as soon as you get back and you're done, you're like, hey, that was great. Let's do it again. Let's you appreciate your life. Yeah. You know, that's what it is. Little things. Yeah. Yep. It's like golf. Like I'm, I'm horrible at golf. And every time I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I like hit one shot out of. I don't know the 200 I took in the day. Like, that's what I'm going to remember right there. That yeah, beautiful that's shot. how fishing works, right? You catch one fish yeah. in three trips and you <laughs> feel good about it. 
Right. <laughs> How you be doing, Biggin? Well, I'm good. Uh, the reason why I was out, you were you were camping. You had a work thing, and then you went to camping. Yep. And then I had a um, a banquet that I had to go to for Big Brothers Big Sisters. You guys have known I've been doing this uh, program for about seven years, and I've had the same little since then. And he's he first uh, was this little. Uh, big glasses, little skinny runt of a kid. I would say that to his face uh, if, he, if he was here. And then he has grown to a uh, a GAM, a grown A man, and he is massive. He's huge. He's tall. He can whoop my tail at any point of the day. Um, uh, d- dude, let me just brag on him just for a second. Dude played one year of high school football, one year of high school football, and he've and he's got four D2 scholarships hey. uh, offers, you know, for to play football. He played one nice. year of, of high school football. That's great. Yeah, he um he's uh, going to the Navy uh, either July or September. So we're we're all just kind of waiting for that to happen and getting ready to shed some tears. But I was at a Big Brothers uh, Big Sisters event and uh, I got an award for the um, West Carolina. I think that's right. Or West, I don't know. Uh, the Mecklenburg, Cabarrus County, that a- area. I don't know what they call it. Central, Central Carolina. Um, Big Brother of the Year. So Ooh. I got nominated before, but now I am the big brother of the year in central Cabarrus, central Carolina. And, uh, not to again, toot my own horn, but I'm also the big brother of the entire state of North Carolina. So oh. that is, I think is, is a huge honor. So I'm very excited. That's impressive. about impressive. That. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but here's the deal. We went, to, we went to the event. It was an armored cow brewery down in university. Oh, yeah. And evidently the, uh, the people that were hosting the event did not talk to the people that were planning the event <laughs> because we got there, <laughs> we got there. Right. And, you know, they had like little snacks and stuff. They had a charcuterie um, thing that you, we, we had for yep. snacks. We got a free beer. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to you know do the speeches they're gonna announce the nominees your matches like how long they had they had a very long speech prepared and um and as soon as we started that process we heard the microphone come on all right everybody get your tickets uh get your drinks because we are we're gonna start our trivia night on thursday nights that we do every night on armored cow brewery <laughs> and so these these folks didn't have a microphone system at all and now they're going to do trivia night while they're trying to do a speech which i was just like oh my goodness uh, it was just so funny so if you're if you're gonna host <laughs> if you're gonna host an event please make sure that uh that you also talk to the people of what they're needing as well so, so did they just rent out like a corner what? of the brewery or something yeah exactly it was just like this little off to the side section that we had but it was all open right so there was you know there was no walls to, between us and trivia night people so and it got packed in there there was a lot of people so the the crowd level was really loud and uh and we were trying to talk and they just scrapped everything and they just said, here's your trophy. Have a good night. <laughs> what kind of trivia um, was 
just like general? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I didn't stay for the trivia part. Came here for the award. I left with the award. That, that was like starting competing. Right. Oh, uh, if it was uh, office trivia, I might have lost, but I would have at least stayed around oh, for the um, questions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, is there any World War II history trivia? <laughs> right. All right. So um, last week, you guys remember that we did a little uh, trivia thing from the, um, oh, what was that called? Let me pull this up here. I want to say BuzzFeed, but that's not right. Babylon B. Ha- oh, I knew it had something to do with that was Babylon B. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which is a satire site. Please, again, if you go to BabylonB.com, understand that it's not real. It's all a joke. Does that make me feel better about the results or not? That's the question. Well, (laughs) maybe. Um, And the question that we posed ourselves last week was, are you a man? Uh, We were going to do, are you a woman? Uh, But, you know, we didn't have Aaron. So the answer was no. We waited this week. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I took this and I may. Um, oh, let's see how many points I get. All right. Yeah. I'm here. Let's yeah, do it. Let's, let's also play. Here's Brian. So we'll see if we're a woman as well. I have a lot of shoes. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here we go. This is from Babylon B. 12 uh, signs that you're looking for if you are a woman. Remember, again, it's a satire site. So, Aaron, here we go. Uh, question number one Are you always cold? No. Nah. No. Okay. Uh, has a human ever popped out of you? <laughs> no. <Okay>. No. <laughs> right now we're we're all over over two. Popped out's probably the wrong <laughs> adjective, but yeah, or verb. What pushed, is that? Yeah. Cold. I don't know. <laughs> Left. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Moving on. Moving on. Move on. Go ahead. Family show. Um, all right, number three. Have you ever decorated a bed with six or more pillows? Absolutely. No. Right, you got one. There's a good one. Can you tell the difference between cream white and rustic farmhouse white? Yes. Okay, we got two. Uh, uh, okay, I can probably do that. Ryan, surely. You can do that? Uh, sure. One's whiter, right? Isn't the rustic going to have I a little. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably depends on the region. What region are we in? This farmhouse. Uh, oh. <laughs> South. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Number five, uh, have you run into a curb in the past 24 hours? Be honest, Carol. <laughs> have you run into a curb? No. Uh, I have. Emotional, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, family show, so we'll just kind of go through this one quickly. Do you bleed, like, for an extended period of time or at regular intervals? Let's move on. Let's move on. Number seven. Uh, Does it take you over three hours to decide what you want to eat? No. No. Okay. Oh, I like this next one. Uh, are you currently a member of at least three pyramid schemes? Oh. I will never be in another one. <laughs> um, I, was, I was in one twice. So there's that. 
that mm. I'm proud to say I've never been ripped into one of those. Honestly, I, I I've been approached many times. Oh yeah, DMs, yeah. messages all day. Yeah. Uh, I've been hooked into at least two um, timeshares and <laughs> one pyramid scheme. So I am a you know, sucker. Pre-social no media, they would you'd like meet a complete stranger at a Hardee's and talk oh. about it. Right. So if you think about how weird that is now. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, here's number nine. Uh, do you find simple movie plots hard to follow? Mm. No. Aaron, I know for a fact. You, you, you're... You're able to follow uh, Succession, so I know that I can barely follow Succession. I told you about Succession. Yeah, oh, that's a great show. Good show. <laughs> do you do you frequently describe your emotional state as fine when you are in fact not fine? Yes. Not yes. <laughs> yeah, I do that one. Uh, number eleven is Starbuck. Is your Starbuck drink up order? Anything other than black coffee? Yes. Sometimes. That's three. Uh, number 12, do you have two X chromosomes? Science. Okay. So at this point, you I think you've answered four. Mm. Um, so we're getting some real feminine vibes here is what, the, what it's saying. <laughs> well no i'm sorry you've got you got six i'm sorry starting to look uh kind of likely that you're probably a woman so there you go you got six out of starting to kind of, of look job. like a woman wow yeah <laughs> bad news is i am definitely a woman so there's that <laughs> the big and score higher that's the question <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, well, never mind. I was going to go back to question six, but it's because I cut myself often. Um, okay. All right, so we will go to our fish sandwich bracket, which I know you guys have been on the edge of your seat for. Um, we had this week um, Bojangles versus Arby's. Um, uh, yeah, where's the? Uh, can we can we have our music? We can have some music. All right. Is this the one? Let's have any. This is the yep, one. I'm the reason the whole world love it. Now I gotta crush it. Filet your fishes. Then you should be disgusted. How dare you sell a square fish asking us to trust it? A half slice of cheese, Mickey D's on a budget. Arby's crispy fish is simply it. With lines round the corner, we might need a guest list. Eggs and steaks left. The sandwiches taste fresh. A little cube of fish from a clown is basic. There we go. So um, I, I will agree that filet of fish is tasteless, by the way. Uh, um, I don't know. I got a fish. So, oh, yeah, we need to recap. We need to recap. We, Let me pull up the, uh, yeah. the, the, well, where's that? There it is. There it is. There's uh, it current is. standings. We've had a few upsets so far. Yep, we've got um, Burger King versus Bojangles at this point. Uh, I can't even read that. Popeyes versus, well, we'll talk Arby's. about that here in a second. Popeyes um, versus Arby's. 
<laughs> so let me also preface by saying before this show, Aaron, you have never ordered a fish sandwich before. Is that correct? From a fast food spot? spot. No, I had not. I had not. I had not had one fish sandwich from fast food. <laughs> You're welcome. So, <laughs> are you glad or sad that you decided to join this podcast now? <laughs> I mean, I only had, you know, the most disappointing one so far has been the McDonald's. It huh. was very bad. Yeah. Interesting. It was really bad. Was not good. The yeah. cheese was halfway off of it. Mm. It was on the cardboard. Oh, no. <laughs> it was the tiny square. There was no sauce. None. Mm. It was really bad. Popeyes, mm. wonderful. Yeah, I thought it was very well. Yeah. It, was, it was done well. Um, all right, so producer, did you have anything else you wanted to, to add, producer Brian? Uh, no, not on the current standings, no. So we're going to breeze through this. We're not going to go back and eat the sandwiches again because we've had them. And quite honestly, I don't think I want to keep going. I've had enough of so, them. So <laughs> bring up the uh, the chart again, the bracket. So we had uh, Arby's versus uh, Bojangles. Bojangles uh, did not compete. So evidently. Uh, oh, that was uh, Burger King versus Bojangles. Oh, sorry. Popeye. That's the next nope. round. Yep. Popeyes is Arby's, so we need to talk Bojangles versus Burger King. So once again, because Bojangles essentially, basically what happened to Bojangles is they stopped selling the sandwich before we could finish our little tournament here. You would think, because we're we're not done with Lent. We were hoping, you know, have one more week. They They just ran out. That's what I heard. Like I thought I was talking to the lady at the the Bojangles yesterday. She said they're like, they just, they're out. They just ran out. Wow. Not like they don't have them. So that maybe that says something. Well, we should have started with them, maybe. I, I would say that if Bojangles was competing against Burger King, I think Bojangles would have easily won. Yeah, but that's Burger King hasn't had to compete. It's it's like scared the competition or something. I don't know. Because it, it's gone it's in the finals now. Right. And it and Hardy's uh, never had a shot. Bojangles never had a shot. So we have a uh, the BK big fish. In the final yeah. round. How ridiculous is that? Yeah. So we had Arby's um, and that yep. this week. And that's going up against Popeye's. Popeyes correct. Uh, Arby's, you know, I thought, I, I here's the deal. Like, I had really high expectations because I had the one last year. And I guess it was a special fish sandwich from last year, but it was delicious. Beer battered, brioche bun. They brought out all the all the stops on it. This one is just a regular chicken sandwich or fish sandwich. I was not too happy with it. Yeah. Um. Your your all thoughts? I'll let Aaron go. I was gonna say the same. It was okay. It's hard, man. That Popeyes one was really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Arby's, I, I, I left. Tasting. Uh, yeah. You know, like, it was like I don't know. Yeah, just way better. Yeah. Um, so the Arby's sandwich, they actually sell three different sandwiches at Arby's. Mm-hmm. There's a classic, there's a spicy, and there's a King's Hawaiian, like deluxe, which I've had in the past, and that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got this sandwich. I had, had worked, I was on vacation somewhere till like 2 in the afternoon or 2.30, so I didn't get lunch till really late, so I was starving. Mm-hmm. 
which is everything tastes better when you're starving, right? Sure. Um, I got, and I was so hungry, so I ordered the regular and the spicy just because it's me. Uh, right. So um, I took a bite of that first classic fish sandwich, and I was immediately bored. Like, mm, it yeah. was just like, eh, bored. Like, not interested sure. yeah. at all. Even the spicy one wasn't any better. So, like, mm. I, I would say I would rather eat the McDonald's fish sandwich than the Arby's wow. fish sandwich. Because so, uh, the cheese makes it interesting, even though it's gross. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you want to go for your lunch as the uh, most interesting option. I, just just mean, I, need, to, I need a little excitement in my life, you know. Sure. Give me that half a slice of cheese. <laughs> Maybe you should bring your own cheese to the Arby's. Oh, yeah, there we go. On there. there we go. That could work. There's only half of it, though. The other one has to be half of the wrapper. Yeah, so we can agree Bojangles, right, beats Arby's. Is that even a yeah. contest? Yeah. No, I mean, okay. Bojangles would have crushed it. Yep. Which brings us to Bojangles versus Burger King. Right. I would, again, because the competition is, is not there, I would. we're going to have to go with BK, right? Because they... Bojangles. Well, they beat Bojangles, but Popeyes, sorry, Popeyes versus Burger King. I said the wrong thing. That's Popeye, the final. Popeyes that's the by final. far. Right. Popeyes yeah. by far. Yeah. That's that's not yeah. a question. Yeah. In fact, I'm I'm even willing to say Popeyes all the way. There's nobody that can compare. That's possible. Yeah. Entirely possible. Again, I've had Bojangles in a while, so yeah. I guess I'm not going to either. So. Yeah. Well, maybe we have a winner. Two. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Congratulations, Popeyes. Can I buy you a fish sandwich? <laughs> Congratulations, Popeyes won the fish sandwich bracket. Um, I don't know what we're going to do next year. Uh, send us a, vo- a voicemail. Chicken that'll, nuggets. That'll happen. <laughs> Chicken nuggets could work. Yeah, leave us a voicemail. What should we, uh, what should we make Aaron we order that? that she's never had before? <laughs> 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 All right, so before we uh, move forward any more, I do want to take some time and just recognize the late, great uh, Gilbert Gottfried, mm. Gottfried passing. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, he's the voice of Iago yep. on Aladdin. Um, my, one of my favorite movies, and I don't know why it's the case, but is Beverly Hills Cop 2, um, and I have his entire speech memorized. Okay, um, we can but, wait. Go for it. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, oh, oh! Don't let the the fact that my door's closed dissuade you anyway from entering my office. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it, he was a good actor. I liked him yeah. as a as a comedian. He was a little you know dicey and whatnot, but um, I always liked his voice. I always thought it was great. The Aflac Duck. He he also did that one. All right. Yeah. Uh, but he also joins Louis Anderson. Um, uh, Bob Saget and Norm McDonald this year as comedians that have passed on and evidently Will Smith's career. So hmm, it's been a it's been a rough rough yeah. year for comedians. But um, oh. Gilbert Gottfried was 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 classic. Yeah, very unique voice. Like you always knew his mm. voice when you heard it. Yeah, yo man, yeah. Louis Anderson. Those are like really yeah distinct. Absolutely. Probably say about even Norm all of them, all four of those guys. <laughs> you just you hear their yeah, voice. Norm, Norm McDonald had a, a unique cadence, like you knew yeah. some just by his cadence. And 
yeah, his his comedy was very unique as well. Just again with the cadence and how he delivered jokes was good. So, um, all right, so let's go to some wacky news brought to you by Level Up Logo. If you need quality shirts, uh, gear, it's it's you know summertime. You guys need new new shirts, custom logos, whatnot. Uh, go hit up my man at leveluplogo.com and Eric, uh, he'll get you some cool gear at an awesome price. So check out leveluplogo.com. Uh, Producer Brian, you have a story that you want to share with Aaron. Yeah, well, I've been saving this one because I really I'm curious about her perspective on this. I've had this in the okay. hopper for two weeks. Whoa. Um, I'm, I'm hoping I think she might be. I don't know if she's a unique voice but i'm really curious to see hear what you have to say about this Aaron. so no gilbert godfrey yeah uh yeah gilbert no comedians were harmed uh in this article here uh so this happened in florida guess what yes you know surprise surprise but uh florida 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 things all right i'm just gonna read through this because it's it's very complicated. All right, this twisted love story began when the mom of two from Palm Beach began casually chatting online with a person named Marcus, who sent her a private Instagram message last November. After several tame exchanges, um, Hayden was the the woman said the handsome suitor suddenly escalated his pitch, telling her she get married and spend Thanksgiving in Florida. Um, she's at that point she knew it was some kind of scam. They barely knew each other, so she just blocked him. But he soon showed up on her WhatsApp account and threatened to post Photoshop nude images um, unless she paid money. So um, mm. when they were still talking, uh, she had like sent a picture on the beach or something, and that's what he was using to manipulate there. Uh, the extorter even threatened to harm her children if she didn't comply. So, you know, what? very dangerous. Uh, he demanded $6,000. Uh, to not show the image he he had photoshopped, but she stood firm, rejected. Um, and basically, she just said, "I'm not giving him anything." So, still frightened by the attempted shakedown, months later, she said she was startled to see a picture of her tormentor tormentor attached to a suggested Instagram contact named Alessandro. I can't pronounce Ooh. his last name. Only this time, the profile was legitimate. So I could tell it was real. He had a lot of followers and details about his life. I couldn't believe this was the same person, the same picture. So intrigued, she reached out to the dude and was shocked to learn that he lived nearby in Miami. Uh-oh. The pair eventually connected, and he revealed that his picture had become a favorite among scammers. He has hundreds of fake profiles attached to his name who never wound up reporting anything to the police. So these two people have been dating now for several months. Like, how it's just crazy, right? It's it's not the it's the the guy's picture that was used for the scam. Yeah. So you know, some attractive. She's not dating the scammer. She's dating the guy whose picture was used to try to extort money from her. Mm. Yeah, he said they've been out to dinner and had angry women come up to him and they complained that he ghosted them. And maybe some of them actually paid money, you know, the profile. So he's, he's, you know, has some baggage from all this stuff going on. That would be a plot twist if he was the original scammer. Oh, that would be the plot twist. Right. He's a real guy. Is the real scammer? Yeah. 
don't, don't. That'd be crazy. Yeah. yeah. Pictures just being stolen. Eric, would you date a guy like that? Do you date the guy? Would you if, even? If you saw him. Yeah, see the picture. Would you like go after, like approach to some someone who had, whether it sounded real or not, you know? That's the what question. Is, like, would you? <laughs> you have two different. Okay, so. Sorry, Megan, you, you asked your question. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, would you would you date the guy? With, like using his picture, like, would you even have contact with him? Would you just like write him off or? Would you actually like fall in love with this guy? Evidently, you kind of already did with an emotional connection or a physical um, attraction to the guy, or else you wouldn't have talked to him. So you're already uh, attracted to him physically. So would you still pursue it, even though you've had a bad experience with his picture? <laughs> so like date the real guy? Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, it could be like a funny story. Like, this is how we met. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's yeah. A, yeah. It's funny. All right. Extortion <laughs> turns to love. Right. That's. <laughs> um, I would. I would like to tell all the people that have used my picture to catfish. Uh, please don't do that. And, my wife gets very upset at that. So, all right. Yeah. All right. So let's go ahead and um, we'll move forward. Erin's frozen, by the way, on the screen. Uh, she's, she looks very I happy. see that. She's very excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll go ahead and, and bring on our guest, uh, Wendy McConnell. She is an organizer and trainer with the Racial Equity Institute, REI. Um, she has a bachelor's of arts degree in sociology and a minor in communication studies. Based in North Carolina, she serves as an advisory team on racial equity in Cabarrus, uh, catal- catalyzing change Cabarrus as well as race Charlotte. She's a guiding force uh, to both broaden societal racial uh, consciousness and understanding the structural racism for the purpose of achieving the society. Wow, this is a long uh, sentence where outcomes can not be predicted by race or ethnicity for the benefit of all. Um, I should have read that way before uh, coming on the show. (laughs) Wendy, thank you so much for coming on. We have got a lot to dive into, um, but again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, JT. It's wonderful to see you again. Although, you know, on digital media, but it's great to see you. Nonetheless, I'm just really excited. I am shocked to find that I am 50% female. I Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, 58% female. And I'm really excited to try the BK Big Fish. And I have to give a shout out because <laughs> McDonald's fish sandwich without the cheese is kind of excellent when it's well done and it's hot. I gotta say, wow! I know I heard the song; it was fantastic. But <laughs> I have to, I have to digress. It's a good sandwich. <laughs> well, I think anyway, the, I the winner. Yeah, the winner was Popeyes. So please make sure you try the Popeyes sandwich. We're not getting paid for that, uh, but that is a good fish sandwich. <laughs> excellent, excellent. 
Wendy, uh, tell um, so again for just for our listeners, we're starting a new series um, in the pursuit of racial understanding, and I think again, I just want to reiterate uh, for our listeners and uh, and for those that are watching, I just really want you guys to understand that we on the show love to hear different ideas, different points of view, um, and like to have conversations about um, topics that really do matter. And in this in this instance, I lean towards the side of Wendy um, with understanding racial um, issues, and some of our listeners may not, but I want you guys just to really listen and have an open mind and be able to at least take in the information as she brings it. So have an open mind, have an open attitude. If you want to discuss, we'll be glad to discuss. Um, but please just have an open mind as, as we go through the series, because it is very important to really help, I think, our country move forward uh, and grow. So and personally for people to, to to grow as well. So, Wendy, you've got a tough job to kick this uh, this series off. Um, but we've talked before. We, we got to know where we're going on this. Tell us a little bit about your story uh, and what was the process for you as you became aware of the construction of race? specifically in our country? I know that's a huge, okay. huge question to start off with. It is, it is a big question, but I can always talk about myself, right? You know, that's, um, right. hopefully, um, I seem to be a little, I, hopefully my, my connection is good. I might be a little laggy here. So, um, but yeah, I'm Wendy McCall. I, you know, thank you for the introduction. I am living in Cabarrus County, um, home of the, the Sugary and the Catawba. Um, nations that live here and all over the United States. So I'm just really excited to talk about this topic. I think it's super responsible for you to bring this topic to the forefront of your 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 audience um, because it is a big issue that affects every single one of us. And I think a lot of times we think of race only affecting people of color, uh, but it absolutely affects us all. Um, and and you can even see it with the divisiveness divisiveness that's going on. But but even yeah. further than that, much further than that. Um, but you asked me about, you know, my journey. Um, probably, I bet, you know, it has been absolutely a journey. But I would say probably around 2012 when, you know, we saw Trayvon Martin uh, was killed. And then we kept seeing on social media again and again, black men, women, and even children uh, being killed. And it, it's like, you know. What I noticed, you know, that was that was very upsetting to see. And I'm like, you know, what is going on? I'm starting to hear um, information about it being very disproportional, you know, for um, African-Americans and, you know, being shot when they're unarmed. And, and I was like trying to wrap my brain about around what I was seeing. And, and so as I was looking on my social media feed, because now this is kind of the popular way to, to be engaged. Um, I start noticing that my white racial bubble was behaving in a certain way. And they were behaving in a way that was one, either vitriolic, a reaction, reactionary to what they were seeing in the news and, and, and what have you in social media or an, and they were also silent. I mean, it was like mm. cricket. And I was like, what is going on? Why are we not standing locked in arms with our brothers and sisters of color? 
because clearly an injustice has happened. We need to understand this. Of course, they're upset. Of course, they're outraged. Of course, they're angry and sad and hurt. Why aren't we standing with them? And that may be right. naive to say that, but but I couldn't understand what was happening with people of color being killed more often. And I couldn't understand our reaction. All right. Now, this mm. is, by, you know, it, granted, this was my racial white bubble, you know, sure. um, that's what I was seeing. And so I needed to understand. And honestly, JT, I had to turn the mirror on myself. Which which mm. person was I? I wasn't being vitriolic. I wasn't being reactionary, uh, like, you know, angry, but I was being silent. And I needed mm. to understand, like, I had to ask myself, okay, why am I being silent? Why am I being quiet? Why am I not talking with people about this? And I had to realize I had no, I feel like I had no frame of reference. I was not educated in this. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't feel like I had a voice, you know, because I didn't understand. I was just as, I was about as naive as you could get about race. I mean, I'm like, hey, you know, civil rights legislation happened nearly 60 years ago. We don't have any problems, you know, right. things are good. Yeah. You know? yeah. So like, what's going on? And I needed to understand that. So, um, you know, that's, that's, so what, per, what happened after that is I started picking up books. I was like, well, mm. if I don't know, I need to understand this. Something's yeah. off in a major way. And I need to understand it. So I started picking up books. I went to workshops. I started talking to people about it in my own sphere of, you know, mm. sphere and um, started kind of, and it took some courage. It took some courage Absolutely. because I really didn't have any, I was raised to avoid conversations about race. Mm. If somebody brought up race in a, in a small group, I would be going like this. <laughs> right. you know? Moving away, moving away. <laughs> You know, about like religion and politics, right? You just get out as quick as you can. And so that's what I did. And and, um, I started to engage with it. I was like, I I have Mm. no, I don't have a basis. I don't have a basis of knowledge. I don't have a foundation. And I started building a foundation. And what I was learning blew my mind. The more I read, the more I learned, the more I realized how, how much I didn't know. I thought at least I was like semi-knowledgeable, but my knowledge base prior to digging into this was based on the ether, was based on the little tiny bits in our environment that I would just grab at. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I never studied it. I never looked at it. Um, So, I mean, I did, I started to dig in and then, you know, I said, you know what, if I'm missing this information, I know I'm a pretty typical white person. I know plenty of other people around me yeah. that are also missing this information. So what I want to do is I want to kind of, you know, maybe start start a, a class, not really a class, but maybe a, 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 um, a venue where we can sit down and read through the, these things and learn about the things that I'm, I'm learning. And I'm going to bounce mm-hmm. it off some other people, too, and see what they think. And I believe that's how you and I met, you know, I started yep. to do race together and, you know, opened it up to our community and anybody that wanted to learn more about race and racial um, uh, structural racism. And just let me just throw some information out here and see what y'all think, 
because this is yeah. this is something to me. This is something we need to be paying attention. This is important. It's important to our our, our loved ones of color, our friends and family, just people generally of color. But it's important to us also. Yeah. And we don't have this information. We're not publicly, you know, it's not. It is available. It is absolutely available. Um, yeah. But we have to want to go find it. And um, anyway, so that's what I did. And then it, um, eventually that took me back to school. I went to, you know, get my degree in sociology, as you mentioned. And and then, um, yeah, then I now I'm a, a racial equity trainer, um, like you said, for, for uh, Racial Equity Institute. Really excited about that. That's a new that's a new thing. So I'm just super excited about that. Um, and I'm really excited that you would be brave enough to have me on your show because I know it is a very divisive topic and um, that's, you know, just got a really bad rap as far as, you know, we can talk about this, y'all. Yeah, we can talk about this. White people are good people. <laughs> my people, my, 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 my people are good people. Okay. And we also have, we, we have a deficit. We have a deficit and, um, and, and people of color that I'm encountering agree with everything I just said. Mm -hmm. We have a deficit. We need to, we need to get aligned. We need to have a common understanding about race. So anyway, I hope that answered your question and more. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just a little background, like you said, we, we've met before my wife uh, decided, Hey, let's go take this class. We had nothing better to do on a Sunday except take a nap. Um, so I was very hesitant to, to come. And I was like, I don't need to know this, like whatever. I, I was in that camp of, I, I didn't really want to know. Um, but going through that process was a huge eye opening experience for me. Um, just the statistics that you brought in and the, um, the, the facts was like, oh my, this is, this is a real problem. Cause I was in my echo chamber, like you're saying, oh no, it's fine. We did you know, civil rights. It's everything's fine. And, and was using phrases of those people. And it mm-hmm. was such an eye opening experience that I was like, we've got to talk about this. And we finally got to a place, I think on our show where we can talk about this openly and honestly, and, and have those, have those discussions. So, uh, so I, you know, it's huge. The, the information from that race together was so impactful to me. Um, it really changed how I view things. One of the things though, that, that really kind of hit me was, Race isn't real. And that was, I think, the day one of the stuff that you guys brought in, that, that race is just a construct. Mm-hmm. In my head, I wanted to say, oh, this is foolishness. But looking at it, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. When you look at the facts and the, and the information, you're right. So can you explain how race is, was constructed and it's not, it's not even real? Mm. Well, I mean, I... You, that's a loaded question. <laughs> yes, I can. Do you, uh, I know you and I talked before, um, when you asked me to come on, you had talked about wanting to know about the construction of race. Is right. that yeah. part of what you yeah. want to know as well? Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. going to take a minute. Are you okay, okay. with that? Yeah, no, we, we've got time because I think it's important. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a speed round. Is that all right? Yeah, <laughs> let's do, do that. A- 
This is going to be the speed round. So I'm going to be, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to give you what you're asking for. Yeah. Um, but I also need to, to give it to you with a caveat. Okay. And the caveat is that I am no historian. Sure. I am no scientist. I am <laughs> sure. a deeply com- curious human being who has studied and, and cares much about this, this, this question that you're asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm going to tell you, what I'm about to kind of review with you is nothing new. It is not, I am not bringing any new magical information whatsoever. This, this information has been sung from the rooftops forever, <laughs> right? Um, by civil rights leaders, organizers, community organizers, people of color, um, and people fighting for justice. All along, you know, from Frederick Douglass to, you know, you name it today. Um, and the information is available to us all. I mean, I encourage anyone that is hearing me, you know, talk about this to please find sources, find, find sources that are vetted and approved by civil rights leaders and, and, and research this. So whatever I tell you is going to cause you to have more questions. All right. Whatever I talk about okay. tonight will cause you to have more questions. No question about it. Just make sure that when you do your research, that it's it's valid and reliable and um, and um, and certify and clarify what I say. But I, yeah, I'm going to jump sure. in. I'm going to jump in. Right, Many people are curious about this. Some, some people don't even know, know to be curious about it. Actually, we are all affected yeah. by it. So. Um, and I can tell you about the oppression side when you talked about percent, uh, not percentage, but statistics and facts and stuff like that. And I'm not going to jump into facts tonight, but you know, the outcomes for people of color are abysmal. When you think about every indicator of well being, people of color, black people in particular, are, are having the worst outcomes while white people are having the best outcomes. And then others are just in the middle. Okay, falling in the middle, whether it's infant mortality rate, whether it's deaths due to diabetes, um, hypertension, heart disease, unemployment, education, it's on in every system. It's not mm. just in law enforcement, like I brought up before. It is in every system, healthcare, um, housing, wealth, your wealth gap. And, sure. and so these, these, these outcomes are real, y'all. These are real. And they're impacting people every single day and, and reducing lifespan and, and whatnot. So we have to consider that. So, yeah, why is this still happening since the civil rights legislation? And, um, you know, and to be clear, white people are also affected. I need people to hear that because they truly, we truly, truly are. Um, and I know that the heart of white people, as soon as they find out what's going on, that they're going to they're going to want to they're not going to stand for these inequities. So that's why I'm here tonight. So I'm excited sure. to tell you. So what is this race yeah. thing about? Yeah. Where did it come from? If it's a construction, what does that even what does that even mean? And, you know, just in a nutshell, uh, the Human Genome Project settled this for us in about 2003. I think they finished um they were sequencing our human genome, our, our, our DNA, and they did it from top to bottom. And they, they said there is no marker for race in our DNA, period. There's not one. Right. So there you go. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. There, okay, so we are, and you may remember this percentage. Will you tell, tell me, JT, do you remember oh, how alike we are? Um, <laughs> almost. I mean, we are 100% alike. 
more than 99.9% alike, you know, from our DNA, right? And it is shocking to me how much focus, if you're looking at that pie, how much focus we have on that tiny little sliver that makes us different. We're almost obsessed with it. All right. Mm. You know, that we're somehow different. But even if you, you know, even geneticists say, if you look into that tiny little sliver, right, that point zero zero whatever percentage Mm. that we are different, they say that we have more variation within our our race than across race. All right. Mm. Uh, what What we consider race. Yeah. That's a shockingly amount of sameness that we have, right? But let me right. just say that that sameness biologically, okay, so that takes biology off the table, okay? So biology doesn't make us different. But let me tell you, the impact of race on, on us has massive real effects. Just because it's not um, real biologically doesn't make it not real socially, economically, sure. psychologically, all the ollies, you know, <laughs> um, and, and we tend to want to just say, oh, we're all human. All right. I agree with Wendy. There's no difference between us. We're all human, but we skip over this very, very important piece that our outcomes mm. are extremely different. Yeah. And we are, we are having very different um, lives. You know, and we don't get to skip over that part. That's huge. That is huge. And maybe once we solve that problem, then we could go to just getting rid of this whole race thing. Right. right. But we first we must solve this problem. Right. So um, and, and I'm just going to I don't know if I can. I'll have to share some links with you. I have. um yeah. I have a link from the NIH, the National Genome Project, that kind of kind of states that about race. But anybody can look up the uh, National Genome Project and ask, you know, look up their statement of race and and read that themselves. Um, and I can provide those links later if you want me to. But um, yeah. so we so just to get to the construction part. So so now we know mm. biology is not a factor. Where did it come from? You know, we, we should right. we should definitely be curious about where, why, who, what, how, all those questions. If race is a construction, when was it constructed? And I think that's what you're asking me to go through. So right. I'll, yes, yes. This is the speed round. Okay. okay so we we're gonna land, we're gonna start in 1607, Jamestown, Virginia. And the reason we start there is that that is the first successful colony that we have that really takes off, right? And the story of race, y'all, is the story about labor. It is about labor, believe it or not. Jamestown 1607 um, was a socioeconomic and geopolitical strategy. All right. It was a it was a it was a project. It was a basically we had investors. We had a group of investors that put together a company called Virginia Company of London. And they went to this Virginia, what was eventually called Jamestown, and these were elite investors. And they came to exploit the resources. I mean, no two ways around it. 
um, exploit the resources of the land. And, you know, there was some hope that in the future they would take it from one sea, the Atlantic, and make it all the way to the Pacific, all the way exploiting those resources of this land. And, you know, you know, maybe getting... Um, getting a getting a edge on the portuguese or spanish or dutch you know in the new world so that's really what it was about it was a it was a, an investment it was to enrich themselves as um these um aristocrats coming from england and to enrich the crown so the english crown so when they got here they encountered indigenous people we all kind of know that right um the indigenous mm-hmm. people were and we came as English people, we came with, and I say we because I'm still learning my ancestry, ancestry and I'm finding out all kinds of interesting thing, things um, <laughs> about, uh, I just learned that, that one of my ancestors was in Jamestown. So, so oh, this wow. is really interesting. Yeah. So um, they, we came with a lot of paternalistic assumptions. Go figure. We came with a lot of paternalistic assumptions and this mentality that, oh, they're going to, these indigenous people are going to want our clothes. They're going to want our religion. It's going to be awesome. They're not going to resist us at all, wanting to encroach on their land. And that's just not how it went. You know, um, they, it, it started out kind of okay, but then, you know, those assumptions and those behaviors really kind of caught up with us. And so ultimately the strategy in Virginia or in Jamestown, Virginia, to do with the indigenous people was extermination. That was the strategy. Um, and, and listen, when we talk about, you know, this encroachment going in and possessing something that really wasn't ours to begin with, God was an important tool that was used to justify these ideas. And I know you're going to have other guests talk about these topics, but I think it's important for us to know this as I talk about this kind of beginning, how that idea of European superiority started with a major justification of God. And, you know, all the oppression was signed off um, using that justification and, you know, giving us this divine right. Like, that's big. That's powerful. I'm glad, like, I'm glad things have changed so much. Yeah. If God's telling you, you you're the best, go ahead. I was just saying, I'm glad things have, have, have changed, but we still do the same thing today. Like we say, oh, it's God's telling me to do this, and it, it impacts people negatively. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then basically giving you the divine right to, first of all, your, yep. your, your, uh, you're elevated, you're better, you're superior, you're supreme, and you can wage war if they're not Christian and, you know, take what they have, take their freedom, mm. all, take everything um, mm. in their human rights. Not that they had those human rights at that point, but, you know, uh, rights per se. Um, sure. But yeah, the papal bulls, these papal edicts, and later the doctrine of discovery we see and manifest destiny, we're all doing the same thing. So that's important for us to keep in mind. But at this time uh, in Jamestown, Virginia, we race did not exist. Race was not a thing. We were not identified in that way. We were identified by mm. geographical location, where we came from geographically. We were identified by our religion, uh, maybe phenotypical characteristics, you know, like skin or hair, but but not... Um, Nothing was like there was no hierarchy at that time, and, and, sure. and we weren't using okay. race as an identifier. Um, but what we do know is that the labor source 
the labor source that they were bringing in because these these um, elites were not interested in, uh, you know, tending the land, let's just say. That was not their way. They were not interested in work, okay? They were just interested in making money and, and accessing those resources. So they had to bring um, indentured servants along. And those, those folks generally were European and coming from debtors' prisons in England because often they were, they were uh, criminalizing poverty in England. And some people were forced and some people were invited or, or, you know, kind of enticed to come to serve. Um, Usually a contract for indentured servants would last anywhere from four to seven years, uh, something to that degree. And and, uh, listen, conditions were horrible. It was a mess. It was horrible. And and mortality rate was huge. I was just reading... um, um, Last night, how, you know, as soon as they would bring them, uh, I think they were doing a kind of a census every year. And I was just reading one census was like 1800 people came this year. Uh, 1900 people died this year, (laughs) you know, so as soon as they would come, you know, people, the the mortality rate was just really bad. It was, it was bad. They even called Hmm. it seasoning. If you made it through the first year, you were seasoned. You mm. might survive, maybe. Yeah, it was really harsh. And, and the, even the masters were treating servants much more harshly than they would even in England. Um, it just was, if, if, you, if you lived out your contract, your four to seven year contract, you were lucky. All right. Mm. So that was, the, that was the state. The environment was really, really rough. And um, I think it was was by 1619, that's when we see the first Africans come over on a Dutch ship that were brought here, uh, not not of their will. Um, Mm. We're not clear if they were indentured or enslaved at this point, but really that doesn't matter a whole lot for the story. Um, But it was against their will without question. And so um, it's also important to know that in Virginia, the servant class made up about 93 to 99% of the people that were there. So that's really important. African labor, whether it was enslaved or indentured, was a very tiny, tiny percent. Um, They were getting along really, really well. Everybody was getting along. That servant class didn't matter. I mean, race was not a thing. They were getting along really well. They were intermingling. They were they were hunting together. They were eating together, marrying together, integrating, and having children. All right. Mm. So there was no animosity there. There was no natural, you know, any of that. Um, <laughs> but the problem here was there. There was a really large population of disgruntled labor because you, your masters are treating you poorly. The conditions, just the general conditions, the weather, the land, is difficult and they're on the edge of revolting and they have nothing to lose, right? Because nothing sure. is going well, you know, people are running away together. And that's important for us to know the Virginia elite are, are they see it coming. There's going to be a rebellion hmm. and, and there are rebellions. There are, you know, people are running away together and they're brought here because they're brought here under false pretenses. They're forced, they're, under-resourced, they're underprepared for the conditions that they come into. So, you know, these Virginia elites should be fearful, and they are. 
they should be. You know, yeah. they're using the, these people up um, for their own gain, and and they're becoming wise to it. They can't they can't handle it. Um, so they don't want these alliances. Okay, this is not helping them. So mm-hmm. you know they right, and just a hand. There's just a handful of elite now. I mean, as far as the population goes, at sure. probably about sixteen. 40, we see about 10,000 Europeans are in the colony, and there's only about 150 okay. Africans. All right. Wow. So you think about okay. that. And there's probably about that many elite, too. You know, there's just a small number of elites. So who do they want? Who do these elite want to control? Like, who, which group? If we're going to group these racially, you know, we haven't got to that point, but who are they going to want to control? They're going to want to control these, these European servant class or the African servant class? Who are they most interested in controlling when we think about it? I mean, you could probably guess that it's the the larger <laughs> European right. class, you know? Yeah. So that's what that's what's happening. They're putting two and two together. They're like, hmm, what can we do? And they're using violence. They're using violence against these people to try to get control of them. And then you start seeing this series of legislation come through. You see the series of legislation, you know, designed to divide the labor solidarity that they see. They want to get rid of the unity because they want that larger class to kind of come along, right? They need to, they need to do something to make them fall in line, really, basically, and prevent any kind of rebellion. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because so yeah. they have yeah. these kind of differential sentencing. So like some of that legislation has said, well, you know, well, you know, for Europeans, we're going to give you, um, if you're caught running away, we're going to give you this lesser sentence. But if you're African, you're getting this heavier sentence. All right. So they see this, these early, early forms of, of um, disparate sentencing, frankly, that we see today. Wow. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is the first moment in that. And then they say, well, okay, that's not working great. So let's see, what about, um, we're going to provide this psychological advantage to European servants. And we're going to, you know, if you run away together and we catch the European person, whether they're Dutch or Scots or Irish or English or whatever, if we catch you and we don't catch the African, you're going to have to serve their sentence. Now, remember, or their their servitude and their sentence, mm. their their uh, additional servitude. Which by that time it was it was pretty normal that these Africans are getting a, a longer sentence. Sure. So now the incentive to run away together and to stay kind of separate becomes more um, evident, right? If you're just kind of adding things up, you know, do we want to run away with this African? You know, so it's. It's really the series of legislation that really starts trying to divide people and differentiate people where Africans are getting a harsher sentence and Europeans are getting less or so. Um, But what we see happening, because they see rebellions, they see it, it's, it's, it's coming. And sure enough, it does. And we've all learned about Bacon's Rebellion, right? I believe that is like the one thing in our history I remember learning. 1676, Bay's Rebellion happens. Sure enough, by this time, we have about 27,000 Europeans, and we have about 1,000 Africans, so not many. Now, Bacon is a minor aristocrat. He's not a great guy. 
he goes to his uncle, who happens to be the, the governor, Governor Berkeley of Virginia. And he says, hey, I want that Indian land over there. Give me some of that Indian land. And the <laughs> governor says, listen, you're being a twit. You cannot have the Indian land. We're trying to keep peace over here in this corner. Stop it. Go sit down. And so Bacon's like, I want that land. And so what he, he's pretty charismatic guy, right? So he grabs these people. Every poor person he can find, find whether they're indentured, whether they're uh, in, um, enslaved, Indian, if there's some from another uh, Indian tribe that maybe has something over against this other tribe whose land he's trying to take. And he gets them together. He gets a coalition together. I and mean, co- we would call this cross-racial, cross-ethnic, you know, coalition <laughs> together. But he's able to pull it off somehow. I'll tell you how, because he promises them freedom if they win. Mm. And so, yeah, they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll fight for sure. And so it happens. The rebellion that they worried about, that they feared so deeply, happens. And uh, they burn James down to the ground. And, and wow. it's quashed. That it doesn't, it does, it doesn't end up being successful in the end. It is quashed, um, but it doesn't really help the the elites how they feel about things. You know, they're they're terrified now. So now sure. they're going to get serious about this legislation. They're going to get really serious. They have tried violence. They have tried laws, and now what they decide to do is they try a carrot. All right, they're going to give them something to lose because these people have nothing to lose at this point. And that's what they do. And the carrot is a political strategy. All right. We, it's a strategic strategy, an economic strategy, if you will, you know, to hang on to uh, being able to access and, and take all the resources out of this labor class. All right. And so that's what they do. You know, they, um, that again, at this point, I think the labor class was the European labor class was about 93% of the population. So who are they trying to control? It's the white, poor, white yeah. labor class, but, but that's not white yet. It's still European. But the status gap between that servant class and the elite was huge. It was a huge mm. gap. We have many, many poor people. And to keep that largest group in line, they offer them an all-class collaboration. They say, you know what? You come on over here with us. You be part of our collaboration. I'm gonna, we're going to create a new class, and we're going to call it white. And that's exactly hmm. what they did. In, um, in 1691, we see the first reference to white, not European, in an anti-misogynation law where they were saying, okay, you know, white women and men cannot wear, uh, marry uh, indigenous or uh, black or, or mulatto uh, people. Hmm. Okay. And that's where we see white show up in, in the legislation. And then from wow. there on out, it just continues to, to solidify. So they give them a psychological bump, a leveling up. You know, before they were they were down, they were this low low class that were associated with indigenous and African people, and and that's they they had common bonds through their oppression. <clears throat> but then they just gave them a new a new uh, class. But now you're with these you're in the same class as these wealthy elite. 
that's pretty nice. Hey, yeah. maybe I even have a chance to level up to that point one day. Mm. That's that's powerful. Sure. That's powerful and that's seductive. And absolutely. so so absolutely. I mean, and that's what we see. We see this 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 kind of using this ideology of white superiority or white supremacy. And it's rooted in that message of superiority. I mean, no question about it. And it's this dot and it's diametrically opposed to black inferiority mm-hmm. and indigenous inferiority. Yeah. And it was hardened into our laws and our cultures. And, you know, that psychological carrot is powerful and it's ever evolving. So going forward, you know, we see it in chattel slavery, right? We see it in convict leasing. After that, we see it in Jim Crow segregation after that and and the oppressive scheme of sharecropping. We see that Mm. plenty of white people get caught up in that. Right. And eventually prison labor and mass incarceration that we see today. So it happens again and again and again. And one policy informs the next policy, informs the next policy. And we just go down the timeline into our structures and embedded in our structures. And and JT, one thing that was really difficult for me to understand when I started thinking about these things and hearing about these things and reading about them is it felt very abstract, this idea of how policy is is embedded, that structural embeddedness of it and how that that's still here today. And so I want to offer um, a report. And this is something I, I, if we were on Zoom, I would drop it in the chat. But we're not. So I don't know how to do that on this platform. So but, what we'll do, Wendy, is you send me all the links and I'll put those all in our show notes so that people can have oh, that. Good. Excellent. So I have this wonderful report put out by Equal Justice Initiative. And that's Brian Stevenson's um, 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 organization in Montgomery, Alabama, and they put out a report just, I think it was in 2020 or 2021. It's called Race and the Jury. And just in this small, you know, we've been talking about all these different systems that it it, it is embedded in Mm -hmm. all these different systems, right? But in this, just this small part of our justice system, he goes through this whole, like this legacy of how um, that's, it is embedded in our structure, just in that one piece of our legacy in the jury, you know, in our process of the jury, the one way, one way that we can be involved in our justice system as citizens, ordinary citizens. And so I'll offer that. I'll make sure that you get that. So people can look at that report because it's it's really powerful and it helps us kind of take that abstract idea of um, how it is embedded and, and gives it kind of some life and, and yeah. understanding. So, so social construction, it absolutely is made up. Race is made up. Absolutely. And it is real. It is, like yeah. I said. Yeah. yeah. And, and let me back up on that with saying that race isn't real. Just the, the, the idea that there's a difference of race. That part is, is very yes. not real. Oh, or minimal. don't back up. Don't back up. That's absolutely true. And <laughs> it is See, also very real. I'm very not postmodern because I, I'm I'm very uh, either or. I'm not both and. <laughs> so it's hard for me to say this and that or, you know, do different diametrically or two different oppositions. So it's, I really it's hard appreciate to, you saying that because but understanding race requires you to get better at that. 
Absolutely. It requires you because, I mean, throughout, you know, you will find these diametrically, how can we have all men are created equal and slavery right. at the same right. time? You know, right. it kind of, it doesn't make sense, but it, it, it is what we have. And so I think that's a really important point that you make. And just a, a, a really want to help um, reiterate how important in that story I just gave you, which was very fast and left out a lot of rich details um, that I encourage people to research, is the point that white, poor people, working people, hardworking people were used, okay? That is a very important point. We were Mm. used, okay? And we were separated on purpose to be used. And um, Mm. disproportionately much harder on the backs of black people and indigenous people. No one would argue differently. Sure. Horribly, horrifying things happen and have happened and and even continue to to happen with impunity in a lot of cases. But white people have always been used to keep that process going. So I I, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, We are a part of this structure. And uh, we both, here's another one. We both benefit from it and we are used up by it. Hmm. So um, I I think um, LBJ, Lyndon uh, Johnson, one of his quotes uh, blows my mind because he understood this. He understood this. And in 1964, Hmm. um, here's, I'm going to read a quote. It says, if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, Hmm. he'll give you someone Hell, give him someone to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for you. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And I do not like to be damaged. I do not like to be had. And when I started learning this information, I was, I I know this is a family podcast. I was pissed for, uh, let's just say I was mad. I was, I've been, I was mad for a minute, but that's okay. Feeling something is okay. Feeling angry about this is okay. And then I started, okay, how can I put that anger to use and, and see it for what it is. Understanding the framework for which we are, are, are put into, you know, that we are socially into is, is really important to me. And I would never, I would never go back. I would never trade that, that time of just kind of being upset, you know, being, you know, kind of torqued by that um, for anything in the world, because I do think racism is slick. I think it's very tricky. It distorts our worldview without question. So, um, and, and, you know, and I think that goes to uh, that kind of thinking about our bias and how we, we, uh, you know, we think of race and how we kind of, um, I don't know, um, how we interpret it in our, in our, in our minds and cognition. I know you wanted to kind of talk about that as well, maybe tonight, but I don't know. We might not have time. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of on the, on the tail end of things. Like, can we, can we talk about like a little bit of the implicit bias, um, both consciously and unconsciously 
and how that's played into just everyday whiteness in in America. Like, how do we, how are are white people unconsciously biased? Like, mm-hmm. does that make sense? It's not just white people. So I don't. I, I want to make sure that we understand that this affects all affects all of us. Excuse me. Um, it is all of us. It is an all of us thing uh, because you know, you have those kind of policies that are passed down and they send a message all by themselves. If you think about the policies and this mm-hmm. stuff is rooted in our systems and people start to kind of internalize this over this, this legacy has a half life that takes a long time to decay. And we have to actually be active in interrupting it. And that includes, mm-hmm. that includes with how we receive information from our environment that sends us messages all the time that this person or group is more valued than this person. Mm. You know, when I think about, I mean, it's, it, it's well documented. Okay. So we, I don't think I have to, to kind of um, try to prove that in any way that we definitely have a preference for white in this society. There's no question about that. You know, um, and the idea, if you think about this, this uh, white superiority and white supremacy that, that, that kind of came along from um, from these policies, from chattel slavery, from racial segregation, and all of that, you know, uh, doesn't go away when you make a new policy, right? That that is race neutral. Right. That's, that's not true. And and how that parlays into today's terms, that thinking, that ideology, um, it parlays into the 21st century with not even explicitly thinking or saying these things, but just thinking or kind of having a sense of, well, white people just work hard. Well, they just understand things better or they're more innovative or they're in a better position to just kind of understand the world a little better. You know, that's kind of how it, it, there's that sense of things. It's not ever anything you might necessarily think out loud, you know, or even yeah. certainly say, and um, and it's hard to face that if, if, yeah. if that's where we are, because we are we are told that you know you're a bad person if you have such a, a thought. But but let me tell you, we are also a part of our own environment. We are exposed to this stuff all the time, yeah. getting certain messages or signals. They might not be explicit signals. They might be very nuanced symbols, but we're getting them all the time. And so what do we do with that? It gets kind of ingrained in our psyche a little bit. Again, just very, very subtle. Um, And so we try, our brains are constantly trying to make meaning, constantly trying to make meaning. So when I think about that, you know, I think about um, the Stroop test. I can give you guys a quick test to kind of give you. Can I do that? Can I share my screen? Is it Um, lagging? Am I I lagging at all? Do you think? No, you're not. But but we we tried the screen share earlier before. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. Oh boy, we're gonna try it. it. It's probably not gonna work. Let's try. It might work. I'm a professional. We can make this work. Let's try it out. What's the worst that could happen? We'll we'll try it out. But while you're doing that, there should be like a little button on screen share. But while you're talking just even about policy, I was thinking about, you know, policies that come through that we hear on the news that that this this policy is here to help this certain group of of people. And 
the implicit bias would be, oh, they're not, that group of people isn't good enough to do this on their own. They need to have help from somebody else. Just, just like how a mind could go quickly to, oh, well, they just need extra help, that group of people, because they're not good enough or they're not strong enough or smart enough or powerful enough or what have you. Even those like subtleties could be there in, in, in those type of policies as well. Yeah, certainly that kind of paternalistic, kind of like going back to those Virginia elites that were just like, oh, they're just going to want, you know, if we just give them a little bit of, you know, what we have, you know, not even, not even tangibles, but just like, I'll teach them to be more. I honestly remember thinking that myself, uh, there was this, I can't remember. I mean, in my mind's eye, I don't even remember what the situation was, but it was this young child who was a black boy that was in need of some services or whatever. And I remember thinking, mm. if I could just teach this boy to be more like me, <laughs> that's horrible. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I could tell you a lot of other embarrassing things. Let me just say, I did try sure. to share my screen. Are you all seeing it? I'm not seeing it. Nope. Okay. I get it. So I'm. Uh, we will just not do that. Um, okay. I will provide. Well, I don't think that providing this link is going to help you at all. But okay. So let's think about this. That does kind of change things. Okay. So. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought we had that capability, but it didn't. It's okay. Yeah, it it's should okay. work, but. So all right. So let me just tell you about a. Um, a psychologist, a behavior psychologist that I just really to hold, like to hold up. His, Dan, his name is Daniel Kahneman, and Daniel Kahneman is a Nobel Prize winner, and he is very, um, his, his expertise is in um, cognition, but it's also in judgment and decision-making. So when we think about, like, how we are introduced, how we are um, confronted with race and how we react to it, that can be kind of helpful to know how our brains work with, uh, and with regard to how we judge things and how we make decisions. And so that is the guy whose name I would like to hold up is Daniel Kahneman. And here's his book. And since I can't show you, I have a, a few slides, but I'm going to show you this book. And I want you all to laugh because this is what my dog did to this book. <laughs> he ate oh my the cover. God. Of my book. So maybe if I give you the little uh, Thinking Fast and Slow is the name of this book. Daniel Kahneman. It is a slog. (laughs) And it's because a psychologist wrote it um, who is at the top of his game. It is is rough to get through. but, But what he does is he gives us a metaphor that's really helpful. And the metaphor is how our brains think. We think in two fundamentally fundamentally different ways. And he says, we have a system one. And he said, now, literally, it's not this, but, but this is a great metaphor to, way, uh, metaphor to think of it. We have a system one. And our system one basically happens to us. It's kind of without our permission. If you think about it, it's that very fast way of, of um, thinking about things. If somebody, if I threw up a picture, excuse me, if I, if I threw up a picture, of someone laughing uh, and you would have a thought right away or if i threw up a picture of somebody that was that was mad you would have a thought right away Ooh, they're mad or if i threw up a picture of someone with a crazy hairstyle you would think lord girl you know i, I mean so you have a very fast fast 
response, right? And it's unconscious. I mean, mm. you, you might not even think about it or, oh, y'all, can I pause for just a quick se- second? I want to grab something, just two seconds, just like a second and a half. Yeah, sure. sure. Can I do that? Yeah. Just- yeah. You all right, Brian? Yeah, man. I'm you just okay? pushing buttons back over here. You're I'm what? back. <laughs> push- My switcher's all messed up, so I'm doing it the hard way. <laughs> all right. Can y'all see me? Uh, we're, we're now. There. Yep. There we go. All right. I was going to have a cat. My cat was scratching at my door, but oh. she ran away. <laughs> uh, she didn't right. want to be a part of this, you know, <laughs> our porch That's time. All right. Can't, so anyway, system one uh, is, is really cool because it allows us to have like a quick re- reaction and it's automatic, mm. it's absolutely automatic. So anytime you're encountered with someone uh, and you see them, you're going to have a thought, maybe a thought about their hair like ooh, or, or their glasses or something. You know, mm. there's, you're taking in all this information all the time um, through all of your senses. And you're just kind of doing that unconsciously, all right? Again, without your permission, just kind of happening to you. Mm-hmm. And Solomon says this is effortless when we do this. And, and, it, and we are always, the reason this is happening is because we, we are constantly trying to make meaning of our world, right? right. And we do this just automatically, taking in this yeah. information. There's no doubt in the information that we take in. And there's, there, this is really kind of where our stereotypes are born. When we think about it, it is unfiltered. Now we have Mm -hmm. a second system, system two, that he refers to. And this system two is more active. This system definitely is thinking. It is definitely conscious and we are engaged. This is an active Mm -hmm. system. Um, And it's just more explicit. It's intentional. And it's kind of the filter for that system one we were just talking about. Mm, If that makes sense. And much of our values are kind of housed in that system two. All right. So if you think about system one, if I showed you that picture of that, that woman and she was angry, Mm -hmm. you would know angry. As soon as you saw her angry, that's registered. You won't doubt yourself. You won't, your values won't get involved. None of that. That happens with the system two. Um, and so, you know, that what's important about these two different systems is how much time we're spending in each. So let me ask you all, I mean, if you all were to guess, what do you guess uh, as far as how much um, cognitive energy and, and um, how much time we spend in that system to very thoughtful, it's very thoughtful, reflective thinking percentage wise what percent do you all think yeah. we spend in that kind of system two thinking just throw out a guess what do y'all think one percent for think? me probably so what was that it's one percent for me i would oh, say so now. Oh, <laughs> that's terrible give yourself more credit oh gosh something really low i don't know uh 30 percent that's okay I'm the opposite guess. I'm thinking like higher, like 65 to 70%. Oh, that's 
sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, Brian is closer than either one of Ah. you. It's two to five percent. I feel like I'm (laughs) saying two to five percent. And that hurt my feelings so bad. I mean, that hit my ego pretty hard when I heard that. Mm. Absolutely. I know you were joking, but seriously, that's true for all of us. And probably if you have 5%, you're probably an expert in something. You know what I'm saying? Um, So we are, we just, we have to consider, we have to consider that because we are constantly taking in this information from our social systems and our structures and our environment, everything around us. And and we can build that system one that thinking, you know, really kind of works out what's going on with no facts to base it on. Now, that's not to say that you can't get facts and incorporate it into that. Mm-hmm. Okay? So let me just give provide one kind of uh, one kind of example. Driving with driving. When you first are you all drivers of automobiles? Yes. <laughs> okay. So. The first time you got behind the wheel of a car, the very first time, I don't care if you were 12 or, or 16, right? Or, or 21. But if the first time you got behind the wheel of the car, what system, which of these systems were you engaged in by and large? What do you think? Oh, system two by far. Yeah. 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 Very thoughtful. Very, right. I mean, you were paying attention to You're aware everything. of everything. Y'all, my knuckles were so white. They were whiter than they are. I mean, they're whiter than white. I, I had this big grin on my face when I was behind that wheel. And it wasn't because I was happy. I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. Yeah. So explain to me how you could be so hyper engaged in system two when you first get behind the wheel of a car and you're training to drive. And then two weeks ago, I came home from uptown. Pulled in my driveway, pulled in my garage, parked the car, looked up and said, I don't know how I got here. (laughs) (laughs) Has that happened to y'all? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's crazy. It's almost like all of that practice, all Mm. of those years, decades of practice have then caused it to kind of integrate or drop down into that system one thinking, that habitual in that mm-hmm. habitual kind of cognitive processing. Okay. You know, so, so the reason we have system one, the reason so much of our brain's resources are devoted to system one is for survival. Okay. Right. This goes way back. This is an old part of our brain. So we need this to survive, right? And we need it to get through our day for habits. Okay. Yeah. So we need to be, and we can't be thoughtful about everything. We wouldn't get, you know, we'd never sleep. So it's really important. System one is huge. We would never want to get rid of system one, even though our stereotypes are kind of born there. We wouldn't want to get rid of it because it keeps our species alive. And we like that. So we also have to know, and JT, (laughs) it is good. And it can jump to conclusions. Yeah. It can absolutely jump to conclusions. It can see a person and say, oh, that boy is smarter. Or, oh, that Mm -hmm. person is feeling. Or, oh, that person is dangerous. Especially when all of our systems and structures are feeding us information 
Yeah. That somehow one, we might be doing life better as yeah. white folk. And two, these black folk, these Hispanic folk, you know, something indigenous people, they just need to get their stuff together, you know? Mm. So, so you can see how that system one, if we do not engage and see, this is the hopeful part. And I really think this is truly hopeful that if we have this understanding, if we understand how our brains uh, are, how our cognitive function works, then we can do something about it. We can say, well, I need to engage that system too, like nobody's business. And I need Hmm. to go searching for the facts because guess what? System one does not care about parsing out between fact and fiction. Does not care. But system two might if we engage it enough. So that's what I think is super hopeful about it because we have have the ability to, to change that. So I hope that gives some kind of, helpfulness about you know not biased directly but but kind of how our cognition works right yeah and a lot of people might say you know well wendy you know isn't it just an in-group preference you know we just white people like white people you know and and they're just more you know they'll they they're cautious you know maybe that's you know they're just cautious about other people that aren't like them but it's beyond that what we see you know in 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 psychology they have studied this well you know it's yes there is an in-group preference no question that is true we all have an in-group preference no matter what group we're looking at right but Mm. this particular group preference has a much stronger effect because of these kind of um, narratives that are that are sitting out into our environment that have strengthened yeah. that group narrative and in-group narrative and even made it spill over. It's strong. It's more strong than it should be uh, for whites, and and it even shows up with people of color. So um, black people, you know, when they took the uh, implicit association test a third of black respondents in that particular test preferred white. Okay. Mm. What's up with that? And then when they tested Asian folk and when they tested Asian folk, they, they found a similar thing. They said over a majority of Asian folk preferred white, you know? So it's, Mm. it's interesting. It's not a simple in-group preference. It goes beyond that. Something more is at play here. And we need to understand it better. And if we go back to the top and we think about civil rights legislation, why aren't we doing any better? We can't jump over. Yes, we're all human. A hundred percent. Well, 99.9. No, we're all human. We're all human. We're the same. We cannot jump over how these outcomes are still different, you know? And majorly different and major, making a huge impact on, on uh, people of color. And how are we being pulled down by it, too? That's a, whole, yeah. that's a whole other series. And maybe your other guests, I believe you're going to have Dr. Barry and, and Chuck Collier mm-hmm. and, and, and yeah. Emory, which I'm really excited. So I'm definitely going to be yeah. watching. So you're, you are bringing the A-team. So <laughs> I'm excited. You know. You know, one of the things that, that you were kind of talking about, about Jamestown, and I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Stanford prison experiment. And so I was looking up that while, while you were talking. Um, but they took 70 Stanford uh, students, just regular oh, yeah. students, um, and they put them in the basement. And they gave some of them armbands, and the other ones were, were the prisoners. Mm-hmm. And it, it was to try to see if they could divide 
that group um, up and they were just normal, regular students. So they were supposed to eat, sleep, be part of this prison down in, in the campus basement. And with they had to shut the experiment down within one week because the the guards were taking advantage of the prisoners in such a horrible way. And, and they were just getting paid like $15 a week. Like it wasn't anything major. But because they had this sense of superiority and they had that little bit of, well, you're on this, this team that's, that's more than this other team, it got out of hand. So, mm-hmm. you know, this experiment has been going on since, since Jamestown, right? Of you think that you're better than, and therefore the other group gets treated, gets treated horribly. I think that's a, that's a pretty powerful example. I would say that that was a super unethical experiment. Right. Anyway. right. That, You're that, not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, uh, but, um, but I, I, I think it's important to note that the, the vast majority of white people do not think I'm better than we do not have that explicit thought. And I think that, that, that really needs to be held up because we are good people. And we are trying to do our best, mm-hmm. but we're trying to do it without any of the information. Yeah. We're trying to do it without any of the facts. We're trying to do it because we're avoiding the facts. Mm-hmm. We're trying to avoid learning. And in, in so much, it, it, we're trying to avoid it so much that we're even trying to take people that maybe they're telling me what I really want to hear, which is so that mm-hmm. I don't have to look at that. Yeah. You know, if yeah. I can just listen to that one person over there, that one scholar even, that's standing alone over there in the corner, I can maybe just listen to that person because that way I don't have to do anything. And I'm, that not, way, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying Fox News, but Fox News. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even going to point that out. I mean, that's it's, it's bigger than that. It's yeah, bigger than I, that. It is like media, just how much media does help control that narrative. Um, and, and if that's all that you're exposed to, of course, those at least implicit biases are going to pop up because this is the stuff that is being filtered through on, on the medium. And I'm not like this big media conspiracy theorist guy. Um, but I think that that is important and social media and your echo chambers and things like that. If you don't surround yourself with other people, you're not going to hear other people's stories. And that's just kind of a, a duh. But I think that's important to hear. Yeah, and I do believe one of the most important things we can do, because a lot of people, when they hear this information, they're like, oh, my gosh, they feel this like um, they they have to do something. You know, they have to fix mm-hmm. and good, good. We should definitely want to do something. And I think that the the best thing that we can do is, first of all, learn, go ahead and and, and find some some books start reading about it. But really something we can do before we ever read the first book is start looking for our bias. Because let me tell Mm. you, it is there. And as much as we want to deny it and say, oh, I'm a good person. I don't have bias. Y'all, this is something if we're, if you're human, you have bias. If you have been growing up in this country, you're going to, even if you're not growing up in the country, most likely you're getting our media. So you're still, you're, you have an anti-black bias in a lot of ways. And that is by default. 
just from being alive in this space. And I hate to say that, but it is absolutely true. And if we start looking for it in the thoughts that we have and not pushing them down and back and denying them, if we look at them squarely as, as, and it takes some courage, and then we, we start looking for evidence to see, was, was there a yeah. good reason for that? Or why did I have that feeling? I could definitely give you a story when I was, um, and I'll, I'll, I know I'm keeping you all long tonight, but a story when young Wendy, when I was, this was maybe, this was maybe about uh, two years ago when I was 25. Okay. So I am, <laughs> seriously, I was about 25. So it might've been a couple more years ago. But anyway, <laughs> I remember I was in town in, in the small city that I lived and I had to go pay a ticket, but you know, I am a good driver, <laughs> but I did have to pay a ticket and I had to go parallel park, uh, and which by the way, I am excellent at, I'm a very good parallel, parallel parker and I'm parking. And as I'm parking and this is, well, I noticed out of my periphery, two black men walking along the sidewalk together in the same direction. And in that moment, I see them coming by. I do the thing where I go clunk <clears throat> on my lot. And when I did that, it was almost like slow motion because I knew as I, my hand is going down on the locks, because this was back in the day when the locks were up top and they all went down and they made that sound, right? And as I, it's like slow motion, as my hand is going down, I'm thinking, what am I doing? (laughs) You know, it's like, what is going on? What am I doing? Because I knew in that moment, y'all, and I had to face it and I had to have courage to face it. I knew in that moment, if those had been two white men walking down the sidewalk, also in khakis, also in their knit shirts, that I would not even done that. I would not have had that reaction. My system one reaction. Mm -hmm. All right. My unthinking automatic couldn't even stop it doing the slow motion thing. Y'all, this can affect our behaviors and influence our decisions, Yeah, you know, without us even thinking. And if we bury our head and say, oh, well, because guess what? System two can be a little lazy sometimes, too. And it can just affirm our system one. It can just just affirm our system one. So so I, I just say that because I feel like we have to be courageous and we have to go looking for our bias, because if we don't do that, then our heads are, are buried and, and we have to know that we can still be good people and have bias and go looking for the evidence that most oftentimes disconfirms that bias that we have. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, my bias was that men were black men were dangerous. Boom. Lock the doors. Right. Yeah. Um, and it did not match my values. So that's another important thing. This system one uh, thought and this system one uh, behavior did not match my values because that's held in system two. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wendy, that's good stuff. I think, isn't there a quiz on implicit bias that, that you have? Sure. It kind of, you know, parses out your preferences. Yeah. And it definitely, okay. absolutely. I can, I can uh, give you that that link as well. So implicit association test was a Harvard, Harvard, um, uh, university did that. And it's, uh, actually I have the, the author, 
Mazarin Banaji and um, Anthony Greenwald wrote this book, Blind Spot. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm not good at this, y'all. It's a really good book. Um, also, Daniel Kahneman is a slog. Like I said, it's very thick. But if you're interested in psychology and really, really want to understand that better, I think it's a fantastic book. Um, okay. Also, another book on bias, if we're interested. I have not read this book. I literally just got it. Is by Jennifer Eberhardt. Um, I understand it's very, very good. I know a number of people that have read it and uh, love it. So, okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have all those links and stuff on our website. Wendy, I really appreciate you taking the time to help us understand. Um, I think it's beneficial. I think, like, as you said, we're going to continue the conversation with some wonderful guests. Uh, you are a wonderful yeah. guest. So, thank you for being brave and courageous to come on our show and tell us. Um, some of the history of that and our implicit bias and, and how that affects our, our daily lives. So thank you so much for, for coming on. It has been a pleasure. We are good white people. Let's get studying. <laughs> Let's learn about this. I love it. Thank you for Absolutely. having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Thank you, Winnie. I appreciate right. it. Have a good Great night. To meet you. Good night. Thanks. All right. So next week we have uh, Dr. Lucretia Berry. She is an anti-racism curriculum specialist, course designer, and author of What Lies Between Us, Fostering First Steps Towards Racial Healing, also a TED, a TED Talk speaker um, and, she, uh, and, and writer for Encourage Me. She's uh, got a PhD in curriculum and instruction from Iowa State. I won't hold that against her, uh, but her <laughs> BA is from South Carolina State. So uh, we'll have her on next week. I'm looking forward to that, talking a little bit about systemic racism. We hear that that word thrown out. So uh, she's going to be talking to us about the history, more of the history of, of how uh, that is uh, seeped into our systemic mm. um, systems and, and the governments and whatnot. So it's going to be a good one. I really would uh, encourage you to tune in. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. I know this stuff is, is hard to chew through if if you're like me. Um, again, I was so whatever. I'm tired of this. I don't want to listen to it. I'm done with racism. I'm not racist, so I'm going to be done with it. But as Wendy said, it's implicit. It's inside. And, and working through this stuff is going to be helpful and healing, I think, for everybody uh, and hopefully for you. You guys, last thoughts? <clears throat> Wow. Yeah. I'm a history kind of nerd sometimes. Mm. So hearing like how things began, even when they're bad things, it's, yeah. uh, it just, I just sit back in my popcorn and just kind of <laughs> listen and just absorb it all. It absolutely yeah. fascinates me. Mm. Aaron, anything for you? All of it. Yeah. It was super interesting. I'm with Brian. It was, that was interesting. I didn't know that. It was, I, I think in my mind, it was like, uh, it probably started like in the sixties or something. Or <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm it was, like, it was the 1660s. That's what it was. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. 1600s. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was really interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, again, I appreciate Wendy from coming on. We'll have all of her information on show notes. And yep. uh, if you go to the, the website, sfpradio.com, uh, when the episode is up, click on the guest profile and all of the information will be there as well. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast. Hopefully next week I'll have my voice back, and then we'll have Ryan back, so that'll be good. Uh, I do have one uh, quick announcement before we hop off. Um, I should have mentioned this earlier. I forgot about it, but this show comes out on Monday. On Saturday, uh, there's a guy who used to be on this podcast Mojo, he has a motorcycle mm. shop. He's having yes. a charity chili cook-off on Saturday, April 23rd at his shop in Salisbury. Um, it's for Cases for a Cause is the charity they're supporting. I will be making chili for that. So mm. Nice. My award-winning chili. Um, so I'll be out there if you guys want to stop by. Uh, there's... If you want to make chili, you can probably contact Blue Collar and, and get set up for that. But there's prizes and there's chili samples and then there's some uh, something about adult beverages here. So, okay, you guys, <laughs> if you're free next Saturday or this Saturday as you're listening to this, uh, come the 23rd, 12 o'clock, Blue Collar Cycle Shop. Perfect. Awesome. Vote to whenever is what this ad says. So, and, and vote for Brian <laughs> if, if there's a People's Choice. Award. Only if it's the good. I don't want you to lie. There's a People's Choice. There's uh, three positions: uh, first place, first loser, second loser, and People's Choice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that sounds like Mojo. Classic Mojo. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to the Southern Fried Philosophy Podcast, and as always, keep looking up.